We're in Deuteronomy today, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 13. I found online where you can actually find some things that are worth being online for. I found a website that lists every phobia known to man. Now, some people are scared of things like spiders, snakes, the dark, speaking in public, clowns. I'm not going to name any names, but I know someone very well who's scared of clowns. Um, those are, those are common phobias. A phobia is when you fear something more than is rational, right? More than you can justify rationally. And we all have those. But when I looked at this list, there are actually some phobias I hadn't heard of, some that were kind of unusual. I just want to give you a few. So palatophobia is actually the fear of bald men. Um, entherophobia is the fear of your mother-in-law, which... Maybe that is rational. I don't know. Um, Tyrannophobia is the fear of being tickled by feathers, which is oddly specific. This is the tough one, okay? Y'all give, give me some patience. Hippopotamonstrosequipediaphobia is the fear of long words. <laughs> Not making that up. It's actually there. It's on the internet. It has to be true. And... Yes, in case you're wondering, there is a fear of sermons. So it's called homilophobia. So if right now you would rather be anywhere than here, at least you know what to call your condition. So you're welcome. We've, we're talking about fear in this series. And one of the things we've said over the past two weeks is it is not a sin to be afraid. If you're afraid of spiders and a spider crawls across your foot and you scream, it's okay. It's all right. If, if you're scared of the dark and the lights go out and you start to whimper, you're okay, okay? You're not a lesser Christian. To put it more seriously, if your son or daughter hasn't come home from that event and you think they should be home by now and you feel worried about them, if you know that your uh, company is making cuts and you don't know if you're going to have, have a job tomorrow or you've got some medical condition, you're about to visit the doctor, you don't know what he's going to say and you can't sleep the night before, that doesn't mean you're a lesser Christian, that you have weaker faith. God is not disappointed with you. When the Bible says, fear not, it doesn't mean don't feel fear. We know this because Jesus felt intense fear in the Garden of Gethsemane, yet He did not sin. So what does it mean to fear not? Fear not means don't let fear control you. Don't let fear stop you from experiencing God's goodness or from doing God's will. Jesus was afraid in the garden, but He got up and he went and he did the Father's will. And that's our job. There are some things that we want to do that are scary, that God has called us to do, I should say, that are scary to us. We need to do them anyway. There are times when our lives are stressful, when we're plagued with worry and doubt, and yet we still should exhibit, exhibit and experience the joy of God, the peace of God, the patience of God. We should show the world who he is. So that's what it means to not let fear rule you. Last week, we talked about how to recognize the lies that fear says to us and how to overcome those lies. And today, we're going to look at the one kind of fear that we actually need more of in our lives, and that is the fear of God. So we're going to start in Deuteronomy. This is one of the sermons where I'm not going to be in one passage, but several. In Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, by the way, as background, is the last words of Moses. Moses has led the people of Israel for over 40 years. He's led them out of slavery to the cusp of the promised land. All they have to do is cross that river and the invasion begins and they will win. And they'll be a new nation. And these people have never been a nation before. They've never had their own country. 
You can imagine what it takes to build a nation, to start laws and to put people into places of authority. So Moses, in his last words, is saying, here are the things you need to do if you want to be successful. And here's what he says. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all His ways, to love Him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So Moses says the key to your national success as the people of God, as Israel, is to fear the Lord. Now, I have to confess, I've been in church my whole life. I was a Christian when I was nine. I've been following God as, you know, in, with great fervency as best I could since I was 16. And I never really understood the fear of God until I was in middle age. It's something I heard about all the time because it is all through the Scriptures. But I never heard a sermon that explained it. I would ask my, my family about it because here, here's why this confused me. When I'm afraid of something, I avoid it. My personal phobia is heights. So you will not see me volunteering for uh, skydiving. I'm not jumping out of a plane unless it's on fire. I, I'm not going to, my hobbies are not going to be rock climbing and, and, and cliff jumping and, you know, bungee jumping and those kinds of things. I don't even like getting up on ladders. If you ever go by our house and you see that the, the, the gutters are full, that's why. I don't, I don't like getting up on ladders. I don't do it as often as I should. If you notice it, you know, tell my wife, she already knows. So um, I avoid the things I'm afraid of. You do too. When God says, fear me, does he mean stay away? I'm dangerous. Stay away unless you do something that will spur my anger and I will destroy you. When I was growing up, I would raise this issue. I would talk to my Sunday school teachers, my parents, and they would always say the same thing. They'd say, well, it doesn't mean to be afraid like you're afraid of the dark or heights. It means, it means reverence which is true. The problem is I didn't understand what reverence was. When they said that, what I heard was just behave yourself in church. Take off your baseball cap. Don't spill your, your drink. You know, don't, don't even bring a drink in. I mean, just don't laugh. Don't yell. Don't punch your brother. And I thought, okay, I can handle that. But then when I'd read the Bible, what I saw was every time someone experienced the physical presence of God, everybody, every time someone was in His presence in a physical way and saw Him, like Moses, Elijah, Job, Isaiah, Paul, John, you name it, they always ended up trembling in fear and on their face, or they ended up dead. I saw things like Deuteronomy 4.24, your, the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It became clear to me that fearing the Lord is more than just behaving yourself once a week for an hour. It's a lifestyle that means there, there's some danger about him. There's some risk there. And at the same time, I knew that God was most, pre, most perfectly seen when he came to earth in the form of a man named Jesus. That Jesus was God in human flesh. If you want to know who God is, he came close enough to us that we could observe him. We could see the way he lived. We could see that the, the most sinful people of all were the ones that were most drawn to him, whereas the buttoned up religious types were repelled by him. We saw that he took time to help people who were hurting. He had deep compassion. We saw that he had courage. We saw that he, that he loved everybody he ran into, and he loved people enough to tell them the hard truth. So how do we reconcile what we see in Jesus with this idea of God as a consuming fire? How do we reconcile the love of God with the holiness of God? How does that relate to the fear of God? The best way I can describe it is this. It's both. So... When I was a teenager, my parents took my brother and I on this trip, this long, long car trip through the American West. 
My dad had just bought this new uh, Ford van, this big van with captain's chairs in all four places. We could each have our own spot. I think part of his motive was my brother and I couldn't fight if we were separated by that far. Uh, But we drove through Colorado, Utah, Nevada, down through California. We went the length of California. We stopped at Yosemite and several other places. By the time we got to Arizona on our way back to Texas, we were pretty tired. We'd been on the road for a long time. And so we stopped at the Grand Canyon, but we only stopped for about an hour because we were tired. Now, raise your hand if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon. Anybody? Yeah, quite a few of you. Here's what I learned from that one hour. I've never been back, but I've always wanted to go back. That's an amazing place to be. That is, that is awesome. Nothing can prepare you for what happens when you walk out of your car and you stand on that deck looking out over that incredible vista. And in fact, I learned this week as I was getting ready for this message, that's the second most visited national park in the United States. Six million people a year visit the Grand Canyon. The first most visited is the Great Smoky Mountains Park, which everybody says the reason why it's visited so often is there's a bunch of large cities nearby. Charlotte, you know, Knoxville, Nashville, Atlanta, all these cities that are within driving distance. There's nothing close to the Grand Canyon. Maybe Phoenix? So all these, Flagstaff, thank you. I appreciate you. Yeah. Who, why are we driving all the way out into the middle of a desert to see this? Well, because it takes your breath away, because it's worth seeing. And yet, you might say to yourself, well, Jeff, if you were scared of heights, why did you enjoy that place so much? Well, because I followed the rules. There's every year two or three people a year who die from falls at the Grand Canyon. And, and what I read online was, most of them were because, and this is a quote, of overly zealous photographic endeavors. There are rules. I mean, if you want to take a selfie right on the edge of the chasm, that's your business, but you're breaking the rules and you're probably going to pay. You're doing a very foolish thing. When Moses talks about the fear of God, he mentions love the Lord, but he also mentions walk in his ways. He also mentions follow his commandments. He also mentions do what is right. God has created commands and boundaries for us. Why? Because he hates us and he wants us to be miserable because he wants to test who's really good so those people get into heaven? No, that's not what the rules in the Bible are about. They are God saying, I know more than you do. I am a holy God and I hate sin. And I want to spare you from the ravages of it. So to fear the Lord is to be drawn to Him, to know that He is like nothing else, to to know that I want to be in His presence as often as possible because nothing else comes close. And at the same time to know I'm not God. He is holy. He is not like my spouse. He's not like my roommate. He's not like my fishing buddy. He's not like the, the person I go shopping with. He is other. He is greater. He is holy. And I have to respect His holiness and His righteousness and His hatred of sin. It is both of those things. Now, Some of you perhaps have come from a Christian background that embraces a more liberal or progressive theology that essentially says we can take the Bible and we can filter out the parts of it that are no longer relevant today by saying, well, we now are more enlightened. And so therefore, these commands that have to do with these subjects over here maybe don't really apply to us anymore because they don't fit with our our contemporary ways of thinking. 
That is what we would call progressive or liberal theology. And I would say that is half of the fear of God. That's embracing his love. That's embracing the idea that he embraces all people and and that he is wonderful and he's greater than anything on earth. But it's not reckoning with his holiness. It's ignoring his commandments. It's ignoring his authority, his ability to say, doesn't matter what this world says, this is what is right and this is what is wrong. You don't worry about being on the right side of history. If you're on on my side, you are on the right side of history. But on the other hand, if you came from a church environment, and this is probably the case with more of you than the previous example, where things are very legalistic, where there, you came from the worst kind of fundamentalism, where there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of judgment, there's a lot of uh, looking at other churches and saying they're going to hell, but we're okay. If, you're, if you came from an environment where everybody's always seems to be out to get someone else, out to find your sin and expose it, or out to rail about the sin that they saw on that celebrity on television or that politician. It's all about finding other people's sin and exposing it. It's it's all about being angry, mostly because other people are having more fun than you are. If you came from that kind of an environment, that is, again, half of the fear of the Lord. You respect the holiness of God. You respect His, uh, His hatred of sin. You just don't respect His love and His grace for all people, even people that you may not like. And you need both. You need His love and you need His holiness. And that's when you get the fear of the Lord, when you embrace both of those concepts. So I've spent half my time just identifying what this means. With the other half, I'm going to tell you four reasons why it's important. I know. I know this is a Baptist church. It's supposed to be three points. I'm the preacher. Deal with it. So four points, four reasons why the, the fear of the Lord is important. Number one, the fear of God protects us. When you get to Exodus 20, Exodus 20 is where we get the Ten Commandments. Toward the end of that chapter, you find verse 20 that says, Do not be afraid. The Lord has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. That's an interesting way to phrase it. Moses had a way with words, but it sounds contradictory. He says, Do not fear. The fear of the Lord will protect you. It's almost like he's saying, don't be afraid, be afraid. But what is he really saying? He's saying if you fear God, then really you have nothing else to fear. If you fear God, he's going to protect you from a lot of the pitfalls you would otherwise fall into. The fear of God protects us because it keeps us from sinning. How does it do that? Well, I want you to imagine, and some of you this is going to be easy because you are this age, but imagine a a teenager gets a driver's license, and goes to her parents and says, okay, I'm official, I'm legal, can I have the keys? I'd like to get together with my friends. We're going to this concert, or we're going to this ball game, or we're going to the park. And mom and dad very hesitantly and and ruefully hand over the keys to the family car, and they watch her drive away. Now, even if you're not teenaged, you can probably remember the first time you drove a car on your own. That is a great feeling. That's a feeling like, you know, yesterday I was an idiot, today I'm an adult, right? I I just feel like the top of the world. Now imagine this girl is driving down the road, she's excited, she's got the stereo up full blast, Uh, she is just so happy to be where she is, and she stops at a stoplight, and she looks in her rearview mirror, and who does she see three cars behind her but her dad? who has chosen to follow her to her friend's house or wherever they're going. 
Now, I want to ask you, if you're that girl, just be honest with yourself. Does, do your driving habits change at that point? Do you suddenly become 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock, whereas before you were this? I mean, do you, do you turn down the stereo? I would. Do you, do you, for doggone sure, signal every turn and drive within the speed limit? Yes. Why? Why? Because you think that if you break any laws of the road or, for goodness sakes, get in an accident that your parents are going to cast you out in the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth and you'll have to beg for your food the rest of your life? Of course not. Not if your parents are good. But if you grew up with good parents... I know some of you perhaps have rocky relationship with your parents, so this is a harder illustration to get. But imagine a, a home where, even as a teenager, you want to be home. You want to be with your mom and dad. They're fun people. They're good people. You know that they love you. You enjoy being in their presence. But at the same time, they're not your buddies. You mess up, and, and there's going to be consequences. Dad will take those keys away. And, and even more than that, though, you really want to know the fear of the, God, fear of the Lord? It's, it's that desire that this girl has at that stoplight to say, I want him to be proud of me. I want to get home tonight from, from this event, and I want to hear my dad say in front of my mom, you know, I followed her all the way, and she drives great. We don't need to worry about a thing. The fear of the God is like the relationship a, a kid has with a good parent where when you get up to bat at that little league game, you want to get a hit not just for your team, but you want to make your parents proud. You get up to sing in, in, that, in that church choir special or, or, or school event, you want to sing well because they're out there and you want to hear them brag to all their friends. The fear of the Lord protects us because we want to do right because of Him. And so obeying the commands of God and, and making the right choices are no longer an, uh, an obligation or a burden. It's a joy us. Number two, the fear of God teaches us. Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs, by the way, is the book that compiles all the wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is the ability to make good decisions, to choose right from wrong. At the very beginning, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want knowledge, there are all kinds of universities. Uh, there are online classes you can take. There's any number of books, seminars, but if you want wisdom, there's only one place to get it. And that is through the fear of the Lord. When I was a senior in high school, we got a new teacher in one of my favorite subjects. And she was a very young woman. She was right out of college. She meant she was only about four years older than we were. And she seemed very sweet. And at first I thought this is going to be a great year. But then the members of my class who were a little more difficult. Uh, a little more push the boundaries. They were quick to sense, like, like blood in the water. They were quick to sense. This woman doesn't really want to be our teacher. She wants to be our friend. She wants to be one of us. I mean, just to play armchair psychologist, I, I think she got into teaching because she liked being a teenager and wanted to relive those years. And that went very, very badly. Let me tell you, I learned nothing that year, nothing at all. I mean, I was a pretty good kid. I was a rule keeper. I was a nerd. And yet, by halfway through the year, you know, beginning of the class, we'd say, my friend and I, hey, we're going to go to H&H &H and get kolaches. And she'd say, okay, see you later. I mean, we did nothing in that class. She had no rules. She actually got fired two-thirds of the way through because she was partying with students. Not me, I'm glad to say, but yeah. There were two other teachers I had that year that stand out in my mind. 
because they were the opposite. They ran their classrooms with an iron fist. Now, don't get me wrong. They liked kids. You know, you probably had one or two teachers in your life that you could tell just didn't like kids anymore. These were teachers who actually liked teenagers and, and liked their subject. But even the rough kids in class knew you don't push them around. You can only go so far with them. And I learned so much from those two teachers. They got me ready for life. They got me ready for college. I mean, I remember in my 20s and 30s when I'd go home to my hometown and I'd run into them, I just felt this sense of warmth for them. I'd go up and say, hey, and we'd chat. And they taught me. Why? Because I had this appropriate level of fear for them. I want to put this in a different way. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm not trying to condemn you in any way. But if you're the kind of Christian, I know there are some out there, I know I hear people say this, if you're the kind of Christian who says, well, I know I should read the Bible, but I just never have gotten into it yet. I'm not much of a reader. I, I'm, I don't have a lot of extra time. That's a, that is a sure sign that you, you lack the fear of God. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm saying you need to change your heart. Because if you fear the Lord, you're going to want to know who He is. You're going to want to know what He expects of you. That's going to be top of your mind. In the same way, if you were in the military and they said, we have tapped you to be the one in charge of this new weaponry, this new spectacular, extremely deadly weaponry, here's your 800-page manual, you would read that. You wouldn't want to be, get caught not knowing how to operate this, this weapon that could protect your fellow soldiers and yourself in the same way, the Bible is far more than a manual for life. It is God's love letter to us. But it's also how He tells us, here's who I am. Here's what I expect you to do. If you fear the Lord, you're going to do what it takes to know those things. You're never going to stop reading it and studying it and getting to know it better. Because the fear of the Lord teaches us. Number four, number three, the fear of God blesses us. Proverbs 15, 16 says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than wealth with great turmoil. That's a remarkable thing to say, not just because of what it says, but because of who says it. Solomon was the one who compiled the Proverbs. Solomon, in case you don't know, was the richest man in the history of Israel. In fact, I'd be willing to bet if you could quantify this sort of thing, that if you could adjust for inflation, Solomon was probably the richest man who ever lived. He was literally a man could, who could afford anything he wanted. And yet he says, I know what it's like to have so much money that you don't even know what to do with it, but I would rather live in a shack and have the fear of God than have all things without that. What he's saying is, if you want to be blessed, if you want to live a life that is the good life, then fear God. All those other things will come. All the things you need will come. You'll have all that you need, but you start with the fear of God. The world has its own versions of that, though. The world says, if you want to be happy, there's pleasure, there's achievement, there's fame, there's wealth, there's self-fulfillment. Those are all good things if they come to you, if they're part of the plan God has for you, but on their own, they are counterfeit sources of joy. They can make you happy for a time, but they go away. I want to give you a perfect example of what, it, what I'm talking about, the, the opposite of fearing God and being blessed. 
Uh, some of you, not most of you, but some of you are old enough to remember the 1960s. Uh, those of you who haven't, you've probably watched documentaries, right? So in the 60s, there was a real inflection point in American culture. A lot of values that people had held for a long, long time suddenly were cast aside. A lot of folks look back on that and they talk about the sexual revolution of the 1960s, this idea that the, the values, the, the rules that once bound people and said it, sex is for marriage between a man and a woman within marriage, period. Well, that suddenly went away. We were told this would usher in a new day of happiness and freedom and a more healthy culture. And I know it's really on brand for me as a Baptist preacher to have this opinion. So I just want you, want you to ask yourself, historically speaking, does it look like today people are happier without those restrictions? Has the divorce rate gone down? Has there been a decrease in the number of sexual assaults? Ladies, do you not have to fear anymore that guys are going to harass you at work because of how you look? Has it resulted in teenagers having less anxiety and less discouragement and depression? Fewer people saying to themselves, if I don't find somebody soon, I'm worth nothing. You know, none of that stuff has gone away. In fact, it's only increased. The fear of God is how we get blessed. The fear of God and submitting to His authority is how we live the good life. Don't let this world lie to you. Number four, when we fear God, we bless others. And if this was the only reason, it would be reason enough. In 2 Samuel 23, 3-4, King David, the king of Israel, shared this. He said, The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over men in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings the grass from the earth. David knew because God told him, All you have to do is fear me. And your rule will be a blessing to everybody under you. Now, if that's true of a king, it's true of you and me in our relationships. Here, here at First Baptist, we want to be a church that facilitates people to have transforming relationships. We want you to, everybody who you relate to, family and non-family, to be better off because they know you. And those who don't know Christ, they see Christ in you and they want that. And those who do know Christ, they get encouraged in their faith. We want you to be the kind of person. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you can probably think of at least one person who did this for you. That person who invested in you and, and, and you became a different person after knowing them. You, we want you to be that kind of people, that kind of person to others in your classroom, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. Wherever God sends you, we want you to be like when you walk into the room, it's like the sun breaks after a storm and people go, things are going to be okay. I'm glad she's here. I'm glad he's part of my life. And when you die, if Christ doesn't come back first and everyone's standing around your casket and talking, what they say is not, sure looks good in there. No. What they say instead is, I'm a better person because I knew him. I don't know what I would be if not for her. That happens when you fear the Lord. It doesn't happen in spite of your best intentions without the fear of God. So how do we do this? How do we cultivate the fear of God? If you say, that sounds good, Jeff, but I don't fear Him. I know based on what you've said, I don't fear Him. How do I get there? It's very simple. You just spend time in His presence. 
I talked to somebody once, I was talking about the Grand Canyon, and this person said, eh, I don't know. I, I can't see driving all that way to look at a hole in the ground. And I said, I understand why you say that, but you need to go see it, and your mind will change. And that's the case with the presence and the power of God. If you're sitting there saying, you're doing a great job selling preacher, but it just doesn't sound that appealing to me. Spending time reading the Bible, spending time sitting in a church service, praying, all this time getting into his presence. I don't know. There's a lot of other priorities I have in life. All I can say is try it. Give it a month. Establish some new habits of reading God's word and, and being amongst his people. If you don't like this church, there's plenty of other good ones. Go there with my blessing, but spend time with him. And what you'll find is that God is not this angry deity who stands a far distance off and says, only if you're really good can you get to me. And he's not uh, you know, basically a, a, a deified version of Bob Ross or Mr. Rogers who just walks around being, being happy all the time. He is a God who is holy and he is a God who is loving both at the same time. And we see that best at the cross. The cross is where we see God most fully. Jesus came into this world not just to work miracles, not just to teach, the cross was his purpose. That's where he was headed from the moment, the moment he was incarnated in the womb of Mary. He was headed for that cross. Where we see the love of God, so much love that he would rather die for us and live without us. And we see the holiness of God, that holiness that says, I will destroy all the sin in this world. I hate it with a righteous hatred so you can live in a world that's perfect. We see that love and that holiness come together where he, he is just and the justifier of all who believe in the salvation that's found in Christ Jesus. That, that is how you find the fear of God. You stand at the cross. And the more time you spend there, the more you will experience that fear. So ask yourself, do I have what he's talking about? Am I learning the truth of God's word? Am I protected from my own sinful nature, my own foolishness? Am I blessed? Am I living the kind of life that others wish they had? Am I blessing others? If not, talk to God today and say, Lord, today's the day I want to start moving towards fearing you more.